Hey there, hi there, ho there. Welcome to another quarantine episode. But wait, there's more. But technically less. This is going to be a solo episode with yours truly, Katie Doll. Taylor hasn't been able to record the past couple of weeks, so I decided to step in for a review week. I know we already sent out a schedule, but it's going to have to be changed just a little bit. I don't know how long it's going to be like this, but we can make it work. This is also going to be a shorter episode and kind of a podcast essay sort of deal. I love video essays on movies, TV, and video games. So I'm going to take this opportunity to give you guys a podcast essay about The Last of Us Part 2. It'll also be a spoiler review. So if you plan on playing it, then I would hold this off. But if you have played it, you're welcome to listen. Even if you don't care, listen anyways. You might get something out of it. I should also point out that while there has been a Katie solo episode, I've never actually recorded a solo episode. Taylor was actually present during Scott Pilgrim, but she didn't add that much. So we just tweaked it to make it a solo. So that being said, I didn't know if I was going to run out of things to say or have a lot of awkward sentences. So this is scripted. And so I have written this ahead of time. So it might sound a little different. Now, let's get into my review of The Last of Us. Part two. So we don't have the rights to use this song and I really wanted to use the theme song for the intro but I can't do that. So instead I am going to sing it myself, yours truly. Um, hopefully this gets me um, a Grammy nomination. I'm really looking for that. Even if the Grammys are canceled because of COVID, you know, I'll be there. I'll, I'll, I'll swear up. I'll come. Okay, here we go. Last of Us Part 2 performed by Katie Doll. Thank you. By, um, I can't pronounce your last name, but Gustavo, you're the man. You're the man. Alright, here we go. Now, a few episodes ago, I talked about The Last of Us Part 2. I didn't go into too much detail about the game because I didn't want to spoil it too much and Taylor knew nothing about the game. So I just talked about the social issues that had risen from the game's release. It was mainly about sexist gamers that think women in video games were designed just to pleasure men. Newsflash, Lara Croft was never meant for you guys to claim how her breasts weren't the game's plot in the new trilogy, so just shut up about it already. Just like how Abby and Ellie weren't meant to be damsels in distress. So, if you want to hear about my take on that issue, you can listen to it on ep- episode 91, which is our 13 Reasons Why season 4 episode. But now, I want to talk about the story behind the game, which is one of the biggest reasons behind the backlash of the game. Mainly, I want to talk about why people are hating the game and why I disagree with them. So yeah, I'd expect a lot of backlash myself because apparently in 2020, people aren't allowed to like a game that's socially progressive and has a risk-taking and applaud-worthy story. Yeah, that makes total sense. Now, I think the first thing that needs to be addressed is the biggest spoiler of the game, Joel's death. In 2013, The Last of Us was released, and Joel immediately became video gamer's father. He was sort of likable, wasn't a hero, and was an incredibly selfish person. So, why exactly did we like Joel? 
Probably because there wasn't a character like him. Sure, in the GTA series, you play a criminal that blows up cars and shoots innocent civilians without any repercussions if you drive away fast enough. But with Joel, we understand why he is the way he is. His entire life is driven by the grief of his deceased daughter who died in, the arm, in his arms on outbreak day. And 20 years later, he's still haunted by that memory. When Joel and Ellie go on cross-country road trip to save the world in a cliche plot, he becomes a surrogate father to her and she ultimately becomes a replacement for his grief. In the end, he dooms the entire world of a cure by killing the one doctor who can make said cure just so Ellie doesn't die so he doesn't have to face that grief again. It's an incredibly selfish act because, as we learn in part two, Ellie felt as though her life would have meant something if she had died. Joel is not the good guy here. Every death succeeding this moment is Joel's fault, especially his own. So this brings us to part two, the one where Abby kills Joel. If you're playing the game and you're furious at Abby and you want revenge, send a congratulations card to Naughty Dog because that's exactly what they wanted. But it's not the only thing they wanted. Before she takes a swing at Joel, Abby shows she knows who he is by saying his first and last name, something us players didn't even know. So she knows Joel, but how? More specifically, why did she want to kill Joel? If you're like me and like all stories to connect a certain way, especially sequels, then you knew automatically that it was because he doomed the human population by saving Ellie. So Abby's a firefly then, correct? But there were a lot of fireflies, so why is she so special compared to the rest? And when we do that 180 where we start to play as Abby for 10 hours, you know that Joel killed her father, who also happened to be the doctor that could have saved everyone. You really screwed that one up two times over, Joel. Surprised you made it as long as you did. I just want to point out here that I didn't hate Joel as a character. I actually loved him because he wasn't perfect. When you really start to think about the kind of person he is, you hate to love him. But you do. So we know Abby's story. It all starts to make sense. We should start to empathize with Abby for the loss of her father. After all, we sympathize with Ellie's revenge quest because Abby killed her surrogate father. Well... If you refuse to see both sides of things, it might not be so easy for you. But if you choose to look at the entire story and the outcome of it, it's entirely possible. Most people hate this game because they hate Abby for what she did to Joel. But just imagine if The Last of Us wasn't about Joel. Imagine the game was about the fireflies waiting for this girl that is claimed to be the cure. We play as Abby's father, the righteous doctor who ultimately has to make a grave decision to kill a little girl for the entire world. It's a morally hard decision to make, but he ultimately makes the right one. Joel would be our antagonist in this game. He kills most of the Fireflies who wants to do some good in the world and kills our main character. Wouldn't you want to play Abby's Revenge Quest and be absolutely furious when you have to switch over to Ellie, who kills all your side characters? You would. It's all about perspective in this game. Naughty Dog's goal was to make you uncomfortable with Ellie's decisions. Whenever I had a section of the game where I played against wolves, I dreaded it because it was near impossible to get past them without killing dogs. I literally flinched every time I had to put one down. I didn't want to kill Mel because I remember she was pregnant from the beginning. Then you switch to Abby and see all her friends as pretty good people living in a society where there's babies, little kids, and elderly whom they need to protect from scars and trespassers like Ellie. Then we had to play some hard decisions as Abby. When I played as Abby versus Ellie both times as both characters, I didn't want to kill either one, and I was worried that I would. It's because these characters were two sides of the same coin. Their stories are about revenge and the consequences of said revenge. Ellie faces her worst fear as she goes after Abby. She's all alone in this world. Abby faces her worst fear. Heights. Well, 
not exactly, but she also loses people she cares about. It says the saying goes, if you seek revenge, you should dig two graves, and in this game, you should start digging some more. By the end of the game, if you're one of the people who are upset by Ellie's choice to kill Abby, or are advocating in a comment section or tweet that Naughty Dog should have allowed a choice for the player, then I don't think you played the 20-hour games that you were supposed to play. Revenge plots do not always end in revenge, because if they did, they'd be a lot shorter. That middle chunk in the game where you play as Ellie and Abby in Seattle is meant to play with your heartstrings and dive deeper into your morality. You don't have to agree with what Abby did, but you have to understand her, just as you have to understand why Ellie spared her. It was to prevent herself from being too far gone in this world where it's entirely easy to lose yourself. At its entirety, the lesson is that revenge is not the answer. It's simple, but the story makes it much more complex than it is on the surface. And I'd like to add that it's pretty ironic how a game of revenge, hatred, bigotry, and violence has met with the harsh player reviews of the exact same nature. Naughty Dog set out to give us a story on the consequences of hatred in a fictional world, but we can't even get past that on our own, because a piece of fiction did not live up to its predecessor in some people's minds. Some people also add how the politics in the game is annoying and distracting. But what's political about a same-sex couple, a transgender character, and a muscular woman? Is it because you believe that video games are an escape from the real world, where people like them exist, but now that they're in your precious video games, you don't have an escape? Too bad, too sad, my enemy, you're gonna get stuck behind the real world and fictional worlds. Where are you heading now? I should also add that sending death threats and hate to the writers and Laura Bailey, who played Abby wonderfully, I should say, is not the way to critique a game. If you have a genuine issue with the game, that is okay, but hatred isn't the way to deliver it. So I've been talking about what I love about this game, and I think it's time I should give my own critiques about what I found flawed in the game. To begin, I thought the pacing structure was just a bit odd in the game. While I love that we played as Abby for as long as we did, I didn't like when we did it. We jumped into her story at what I thought was to be the climax of the story, where Abby and Ellie meet again to go head to head. But instead, we jump back into Abby's past, stalling the adrenaline and anticipation. And then we jump forward to her in CLD1. And for a while, I thought we were going to stay with her for long. So I rushed through it, which caused me to miss a lot of looting that would help me later in the game. Another complaint is the flashbacks. I felt as though the flashbacks were a little unnecessary to the plot sometimes, and a little long for my taste. Flashbacks are supposed to develop and add to the plot, not steer us away from it. Take Lost, for example. Every flashback tells us something about the character, and it ultimately gives us the answer to why they were chosen to go on the island. Even when they felt useless at the time, they paid off eventually. I don't feel that way with The Last of Us Part 2's flashbacks. Most of them were just to show the relationship between Joel and Ellie, but we already knew this much from the first game. The only important ones were the one where Ellie discovers the truth about the hospital and they reveal that the doctor was Abby's dad. I don't really care about the backstory of Owen's aquarium. I didn't care that in the middle game, I jumped to two years prior where Ellie was skeptical of Joel. I already knew that. I didn't care by the end of the game when we finally get that dance scene from the gameplay trailer that came out two years ago. It stalled the story big time. It had nothing to what I already knew. That doesn't mean I would remove them though. Except for some of Abby's. They just didn't seem that important to me. Sorry. I'd probably put the museum flashback in the beginning. Reminding us of Joel's and Ellie relationship from the first game, then cutting Ellie asleep in the bed four years later. Then I'd replace Abby's introduction gameplay with the hotel gameplay. It's a nicer tutorial for the gameplay in my opinion, and I think jumping to Abby as a random person being chased by zombies and then being rescued by Joel would have been a nice surprise and twist. 
To conclude my critiques, I would like to add that the looting and all the open abilities to explore really got me off track. CL Day 1 was one of the most frustrating parts of the gameplay because I got so lost and would forget what gate I was supposed to go to. I remember the developers talking about it in a video leading up to release and being so excited about it, but it ended up being a little overwhelming in my opinion. So there's my critiques of the game. See how easy it was without the use of a death threat. Now, I'm not going to give a rating of the game because I really don't do that video games, but I will say that it's definitely a risk taker in video games and will be remembered for a long time. The Last of Us Part 1 is still my favorite of the two, but its sequel does not stand in its shadow. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I know it was a little different than our usual reviews, but it does like a little spin on things, right? Give us a rating, give us a review, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like. Follow us on Twitter at Courage and Doll. Check out our website couragedollpodcast.wixsite.com slash playing. And if you don't have Twitter but you still want to tell us your thoughts, then email us couragedollpodcast at gmail.com and subscribe. Bye! Bye.